Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rabina podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist simply seeing more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for Dinner with Jesus, a series exploring transformative mealtime encounters found in the Gospels. Together, we will discover the depths of these moments, revealing Jesus' mission of redemption through love and grace. We pray this message is a blessing. Friends, my name is Michael. I'm part of the pastoral team, whether you're online or in the room. Good morning. Come on, we rocked up today. That was great. 8 a.m. almost beat you though. They were pretty excited to be here. Um, guys, I'm very excited about our Christmas services because what we've done is we created a moment where uh, these low barriers of entry, where people you love in your life can come experience community and the Gospel through our Christmas markets and then maybe get invited back for our carol service and then back again for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. So I'd love you to be thinking about who you can invite. We had such beautiful baptisms this morning and, and we want to prioritise that stuff in the life of our church. Um, and because of that, I'm going to get straight in to the sermon today. So if you've got your Word with you, if you were to open up to Luke chapter 7, I think we will try and put this one up on the screen uh, behind me in this service in case you didn't. But why don't you turn on your Bibles or flick open to the app or if you've got, hey, old school like me, feel free to open up uh, the paper version, whichever one you've got. We're reading from Luke chapter 7, verse 36 this morning. And we read, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind Him at His feet weeping, she began to wet His feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other's guests began to say among themselves, who is this who, is, who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the Word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before You today. And Lord, uh, we need to hear from You more than we need to hear from me. Whether we're here today, we know You really well, or if church is a really unfamiliar environment for us, may Your love melt our hearts so we might hear what You have to say. Less of me, more of You. And all God's people said... Hey, quick question. If you're online, get ready to type into the chat today. That's the way you can respond to Pastor Ori and the crew. But what is the most annoying sound in the world? What is the most annoying sound in the world? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and let them know? What is the most annoying sound in the world? Someone like, your voice. Wrong. What is the most annoying sound in the world? All right, if you're in the online chat, why don't you let us know? But hands up in the room. Who's got an option? Who can tell me? What is the most annoying sound in the world? Down the front. Say it again. A tick welder. A, 
A tick, wow, oh, a ticket welder. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Love, who else got an annoying sound? Morgan, down the back. Chewing. Chewing. Friends, ding, ding, ding. You have won the prize, Morgan. Who thinks that listening to someone else chew was one of the most annoying sounds in the world? I am home. I am home. That is my vibe. Did you know apparently it's son of a, a, a mental health issue, apparently? I'm only saying that because I have it. I have it. Uh, I, I really struggle to listen to people chew. Uh, I think you can chew quietly. You don't need to announce to everyone what's happening in your mouth. Amen. All right, one last one down this side. Anyone down here? Oh, this young man, striped shirt right at the back. Nails on a chalkboard. Two things, you seem pretty young. Are they still using chalkboards in schools where you go? No, they're not. I don't know where that comes from. Hands up who remembers nails on a chalkboard. Yeah, it shows your age, everybody right there. Young people are like, what's a chalkboard? Friends, I get very frustrated when I hear people chew. It's true, but you know, the Bible actually tells us a more annoying sound than that. The Bible actually tells us there's a really annoying sound, a sound that everybody, oh, when they hear it, it's the sound of a clanging symbol, a clanging symbol. Have you ever heard a clanging symbol? If you haven't, here we go. Hey, Callum, show us what a clanging symbol sounds like. That was good, that was good. But James, I need a little bit more tank. Can we try and make that a little bit louder so people get a bit annoyed with me? Yeah, James is amazing, by the way. James can see him down the back on sound. Let's go one more time, Callum. Here we go, three. Wow, wow. The presence of God is in the room, amen. You just feel it, it's so warm and fluffy. Now, number one, can I just say, now you know how talented Callum is because drums do not sound like that in the morning. Can we thank Callum, Callum for his talent and his skill? Interestingly, the Bible says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, it says, if you can speak in tongues of men, i.e. in English, or in tongues of angels, but do not have love, you sound like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Interesting, isn't it? The Bible seems to suggest that if we say all the right things and we're such beautiful people, but we do not have love, then to the world around us, we sound like someone chewing. We sound like nails on a chalkboard. We sound like a ticket holder. Friends, it goes on to say, if you see miracles, if you pray for people, if you feed the poor, but you do not do it with love, it means nothing. And here's the question I wanna ask us today online and in the room. Do you sound like a clinging symbol? Do you sound like a clinging symbol? In your life, how much of what you do is an overflow of a deep and abiding love? But Michael, I'm about to go out and buy a Christmas hamper, but is it out of love or because what we do? But Michael, this Christmas, I'll send some nice text messages. Is that because you're worried about what people think or it's out of the love overflowing? So the Bible says the world doesn't need more fake love. The world needs the real thing. And when we pretend and don't have an overflow of love in our hearts, we sound like, a clinging symbol. And friends, if that symbol was out with me on stage, it would have sounded far worse than that, that soundproof cage. See, this is what the story Jesus is involved in today is all about. Clinging symbols. Are you a clinging symbol, friends? Or when you live, when you breathe, do people hear the symphony and melody of love? Jesus finds Himself in Luke chapter 7. In a room with a group of people called Pharisees. Everyone say Pharisees. 
If this is your first time in church today, you may not know what a Pharisee is. We don't have Pharisees by name anymore, just by behaviour. You see, Pharisees are a group of people. Some of you are like, what did he mean by that? You'll catch up. Pharisees are a group of people back 2,000 years ago in ancient Jerusalem that believed that they were so righteous and holy because they did everything religion required of them. They were these mighty men who people looked at and like, if they're doing it, it must be good. And Pharisees knew that they were good at what they did. They looked perfect. And Jesus went and ate at the table with these Pharisees who invited Him to dinner. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus eats with Pharisees? Because one of the claims that the Pharisees had against Jesus, they used to grumble about Him and say, this Jesus guy, He just eats with sinners. And I love that moment when they invite Him to dinner and He goes, I'd love to come to dinner. I wonder if in His mind He was thinking, because I just eat with sinners. And these Pharisees gather with him around this table. And the Bible tells us this woman, this woman who's known as a sinful woman. Now, this isn't one of those humble moments where we're all like, nobody's perfect, but really we're like, except for me. Like that's not what's happening. When when you have the prefix, a sinful woman, it's like she was known for her behaviour. And those days a sinful woman is, most commentators would suggest, this is a woman who would sell her body on the streets for favours. Shout out, I know we've got some teenagers in the room today, some some interesting information to discuss on the way home about what that means with mum and dad. This is what the woman did. She was known for the behaviour that the Pharisees would have scorned. And friends, let's be honest, maybe some of us would have scorned as well. And this woman walks into the room and we think, oh, that's pretty controversial. Back in those days, actually, when you had a public gathering of leaders like Pharisees and Jesus, they would have kept the doors open so public could have watched and listened to the conversation around the dinner table. But still, this sinful woman would not have been accepted. She would not have been welcomed and she never would have been invited. And she boldly walks into the room. And what does she do? She doesn't sit at the table. She weeps at Jesus' feet. Her tears fall on His feet and she dries them with her hair. She gets alabaster perfume, friends. Now, when you think, well, what's alabaster perfume? I don't know about you, but I like wearing cologne or perfume. It makes me smell nice and that's a hard thing to do. And I enjoy that. So, so they, I can't actually afford perfume or cologne, so I get it for Christmas and birthdays. And generally, because I only like certain kinds of perfume and cologne, I wear Sauvage by Dior, any other Sauvage? Anyway, disregard it. People put their hands up left, right, and it's like, oh, you should get that one, right? But there are different places you get perfume in, from around the world. You can go to Kempro which is great, you know, if for 20 bucks to smell nice, it's good. You go to Chemist Warehouse, shout out to those Chemist Warehouse buyers, are 60, 70 bucks. But where, where people go, they give me cologne for my birthday. They go to Maya because Savage is like, you know, I can't afford it. And Maya is like this place. I don't know if you've ever been to Maya. It's really imposing to buy perfume from because they never put the prices on the boxes. It's just like, do you want this? Like, how much does it cost? Like, people don't ask that question here. I'm asking the question here. <laughs> Alabaster perfume, this woman boy, this is Maya level perfume. This is expensive stuff. And she breaks it on his feet. And I just want to let you know today that the application of this sermon is that we all need to be crying over each other's feet and wetting them with perfume. Who's ready? I'm kidding. That was a joke. Someone was like, (laughs) I brought my non-Christian friends to church today. This is so cool. Um, That's not where it's at. But she does something that is culturally actually appropriate. I'll explain it later. But with such an intensity that it's scandalous. Why? Why? And what do the Pharisees say when they see her do this? When they see her do this to Jesus, 
Simon the Pharisee, it says that the Bible says he said to himself, some versions and translations say he thought to himself, if this man Jesus was a prophet, he would know who she is. He wouldn't let her touch him for she is a sinful woman. This woman had a reputation, didn't she? Have you ever had a reputation? Some of you are looking around the room and being like, I know some people's reputation in this room. Tell you that much for free. I can tell you what your reputation is. When someone has a reputation, it's never really a good thing. You never really say to someone, hey, have you met my mate Brad? He's got a bit of a reputation. Usually we're not saying that because we're like, well, Brad's really loving and nice and kind, even though Brad is really loving and nice and kind. We're saying negatively, oh, this woman had a reputation. I've had a reputation. I'm not very good at sport. They used to call me the creepy thin man in school. I remember one time a year eight kid that I never met before ran up to me in school and goes, hey, you're the creepy thin man and ran off. And I'm like, how does everybody know this? Because you have a reputation that goes before you. This woman's reputation, she was a sinful woman. And they thought that if Jesus knew her reputation, He would withdraw. And here, friends, what you hear is a sound of clanging cymbals. Clanging cymbals. Jesus turns to Simon and says, Simon, can I tell you a story? Let me tell you a story about two people. They both have a debt. One owes 500 denarii or $500. Another owes 50 denarii or $50. And neither of them can pay. Neither of them have enough money to pay. And so Jesus says to Simon, then, then the banker comes along to collect the money, realises they don't have enough money to pay. And so what does he do? He wipes away their debt. He says, Simon, who would love the forgiver more? Though that of the little debt or the person who had a lot of debt? And Simon the Pharisee says, well, I suppose the one with the bigger debt. You have responded correctly, Jesus says. What is happening in this moment? Friends, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is talking about a spiritual truth that I think we've forgotten. He's saying that you can only ever give something which you have actually received. See, the problem of this moment is that the Pharisees have a love deficit. They are so busy performing, earning and striving for love that when someone comes along that needs love unconditionally, they exist in an economy that doesn't make sense. She's not earned their love. She's not done anything to deserve their love. In fact, she's not worthy of their love because what has she done? Nothing. That's the economy of the Pharisees. But so much are their hearts deprived of true unconditional love that even though they look like they're doing everything right, their lives are clanging symbols of offence. See friends, our hearts are like bank accounts. And if you were to put money into a bank account, if you were to, they're starting at zero, if you were to put $50 into a bank account, how much money could you withdraw from that bank account? Yeah, it's not a trick question. How much money could you withdraw from that bank account? Cool, like three mathematicians in the room. All right, so let's say I put $100 into that bank account. How much money could you withdraw from the bank account? Let's try one more time. Some of us are graduating year eight algebra. Hey, $1 million in the bank account. How much money could you withdraw? See, here's, 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 here's the lesson. You can only withdraw the money that's been deposited. And Jesus is teaching the Pharisees this. You can only give a love that you have received. You can only give a love that you have received. And some of us in this room right now, 
It's been so long since you remember receiving love. Unconditional, un- this, this sense of love without boundaries, without boundaries. Sure, some of you have spouses, some of you have children, but I'm talking about a love that's not predicated on your faithfulness. I'm not talking about a love that's predicated on your ability to feel your children. I'm talking about a love that says, no matter what you do, you are shamelessly and you are loved beyond boundary and depth or knowledge or understanding. The Pharisees didn't know this love. The only love they knew was a love given by performance. But Jesus looks at the woman and says, why is she doing what she's doing? Because she has received an unconditional love to which there is no end. She's not earning God's love. She's not earning God's forgiveness. She is responding to it. And I challenge us today with that because I think some of us, our lives look a little more like Pharisees than like sinful women. Our, our, our love sounds more like clanging cymbals as we're scraping the bottom of our hearts and our souls, just trying to look like we're doing the right thing. And there are those of you in the moment in this room right now who are followers of Jesus and it is a long time since you can remember being overwhelmed by the love of God. It's been a long time since that day. You remember that day when you first encountered His forgiveness and there were tears, it was messy. That day seems too long ago. And you can tell because we only have so much limited love for each other, don't we? We only have so many, so much limited energy for singing worship to Jesus. We're more critical of, of church service than we are expectant of His presence because the deposit has run dry and we've forgotten the love that we have received. Why does this woman do what, do what she does? Because there was a moment when everyone turned their back on her and God moved towards her. Do you know that love? Do you have that love? Some of you in this room, even right now, when I'm saying that, you're thinking, oh, he's talking to some non-Christians in the room. And friend, if you don't know Jesus right now, I am talking to you. But I'm also talking to those followers of Jesus who think it's about someone else, but you can't remember the last time you were overwhelmed with the love of God. That's not the way we're meant to live. We are meant to be people who are drowning, who are absorbed, who are so filled with this unconditional love. It can do nothing but overflow from our lives. Is that you? because we're called to be that person. And Jesus turns to the Pharisees and He says this great question. Do you see this woman? What a great question. Now, is He saying, hey, listen, if you can't see, you're probably gonna go to Specsavers because she's clearly right in front of you. It's not what He's saying, is it? He knows she can. He's saying, do you see what I see? Do you see what I see, Simon? You see a woman with a reputation. I see a woman with a future. And this reminds us of what Pastor Ori spoke about last week, right? When you walked through the courtyard, how many people did you see? When you sat down, how many people did you see? Oh, I saw my friends. Okay, so you saw the people you liked. There, there are new people in our church today, praise God. Have you seen them? Have you noticed the ones that God notices? Because here's the thing that Jesus reveals. He doesn't just see the woman, He sees Simon as well. 
He knows the heart of every person in that room. He's pursuing the heart of every person in that room. Jesus notices everyone and friends, He's got your number. He knows your name. He's well intimate with your story. He knows your reputation. And He turns to Simon. Do you see this woman, Simon? Interestingly, when I came to your house, you did not offer me a kiss, Simon. Yet she hasn't stopped kissing me. Simon, when I came to your house, you did not wash my feet, yet she hasn't stopped washing my feet with her tears. Simon, when I came to your house, you did not anoint my head with oil, yet she hasn't stopped anointing my head with oil. She has her sins forgiven as her great love has shown. What's Jesus saying here? Now we can be like, oh, it's a bit weird. Jesus seems to like people kissing His feet and it's a bit bizarre. 2,000 years ago, to show good hospitality to someone that was coming to your house was really simple. You did three things. When someone came to your house and they were welcome, you would offer them a kiss of friendship. Now we don't do that. I'm not asking us to start, do not kiss me after the service. Then we'll have chats, all right? But back in 2000 years ago, that was normal, which is why when Judas comes to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he do? He kisses Jesus. It's why it's an act of betrayal because it's a sign of intimate friendship. So you kiss someone when they come to your house, you, you are welcome here. Right? The second thing you would do is you would wash their feet because their feet are open sandals and they got dirt on their feet. It's not like Birkenstock where these days your feet are always clean. This stuff was dusty and like covered in like, you know, horse, whatever. It was bad. And then the third thing you do, if the person was honoured and respected and revered and worthy of being like worshipped, you would anoint their head with oil to say to them, you belong here with me. You are welcome in my house. What is Jesus saying to the Pharisee? You have been in my presence and you haven't even made me welcome. Yet she boldly comes into a room where she doesn't belong and all she's done is show me welcome and hospitality. Friends, this is to those of us who call Jesus home, who call Jesus our Saviour, who follow Him. If you're a non-Christian in the room, just please just feel free to observe. Would people know Jesus is welcome in your life? When you rocked up to worship today, would people know that you do more than just acknowledge His presence, but you adore Him? Would people know as a church, when people are here, would they look at us and go, man, your worship seems a little bit extravagant, seems a little bit intense. Why do you love God so much? And our only response could be, because He has forgiven my debt. Oh my gosh, how can I do anything else but just pour out my life? Friends, this was weird what she was doing, amen? Come on, guys, like it was weird what she was doing, amen? So what was her motivation? Because such a deposit of love had been made into her life. Nothing was ridiculous enough. Nothing was too weird to be asked of her. She wanted to go, God, I'm gonna breach cultural barriers and stereotypes to show you, you are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy. And we rock up at 10.10 on Sunday mornings going, wow, I hope they play the song I like. I hope he doesn't preach for too long. In Jesus' name, landing the plane really soon. And, and the reason why I say this is, is God has convicted me this week. I believe that this presence of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit is present right now in our service. But you can have God present in your midst and not welcome Him. We believe God is omnipresent, which means He is in clubs, which means He's in dark places, which means right now He's in surface paradise. God is omnipresent, God is everywhere, but He's not welcome everywhere, is He? What's the difference? The way we engage His heart with our adoring worship and our love. And when the world criticises and says, if God, if people knew who you were, they would not think you're real. They would, they would be disgusted you worship. And we go, man, God knows exactly who I am. That's why He receives my worship. 
Friends, can I ask a question? Is Jesus welcome here? This week, I feel God convicted me on my heart that when we put together service, friends, when I preach sermons, can I tell you honestly, I'm more worried about what people in their audience will think rather than being faithful to God. More worried about those of you who come into the room with church hurt and, and past experiences rather than actually going, let's just adore Jesus together and let His presence fix and heal what needs to happen. Do you know what the purpose of our gathering today is? It is not you. It is Jesus. Have we missed it? Have we missed it? Because here's the thing, in the first service, we had people just down the front just encountering God and weeping. Why? Why? Because they were like, I'm not worried about what people think. I want God. I want Jesus. I want to know Him. I want to love Him. I want to descend into Him. I want to be one of His. And I was thinking this, well, how do I motivate that level of worship? And this is a great story. I didn't say in the first service because everything's better at the 10, amen. There's this moment where Eugene Peterson tells this great story. He says, I was walking through Yellowstone National Park with my family. And as I was walking through Yellowstone National Park, I saw a young boy destroying these flower bushes. You're not meant to destroy flower bushes in Yellowstone National Park. There should be a picture of it on the, in my slides. And as, as he's walking through, he gets angry at this boy. He says, how dare you treat the park like this? This is not, you stop destroying it. How dare you do it? And he yells at this boy and this boy, his little seven-year-old goes stark white with fear. He starts to tremble and shake, bursts into tears and runs away. And his wife says to him, sweetheart, do you think you taught that young boy to love the beauty or to fear you? What if you'd shown him the beauty? So friends, what I wanna finish with today is, is just not to tell you what you have to do, but to remember together the one we get to worship the one who is worthy and allow the response of our hearts to be whatever God provokes, that we might not perform, but we might respond. Because Jesus in this moment shows His character and His heart. I don't know who you think God is, but let me tell you real quickly who God is. Jesus in this moment doesn't move away from the sinful woman. He moves towards her. Why? Because this is what God does with sin. Hey, maybe you're in this room today and when you hear the word sin, you hear religion. Let me change the word. This is what God does with selfishness. See, we sometimes think that Jesus and God is repulsed by our sin, by the things we've done wrong, by the shame in our heart. And if I'm honest today, I think we've all got a level of guilt or shame of things that we've done that we wish we hadn't. And we think that the way God moves towards us is, is kind of like, oh, if you've got sin or you've got messy stuff or your life's filled with shame or guilt or you've done stuff wrong, it's like God's like, oh, I don't, I don't want anything to do with you. I just don't see that Jesus in the Gospels. A couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, a couple of months ago, I was at an engagement party and I was playing a game and I dislocated my middle finger, which is such an interesting finger to dislocate. Because when you're showing people, they're showing you compassion and offence all at the same time. You're like, look at this. They're like, hey, what do you mean look at that? I'm like, no, no, I mean, uh, it's like, I, I, look, at, look at that. Like, oh my gosh, my, my middle finger was like bent upwards. Like, it was like hyperextended, popped out of its socket. It was a really cool story. I was trying to impress everybody. No one was really that impressed. I'd, I'd hold out my middle finger and be like, look at this. And everyone would be like, Ugh. I'm like, hey, can you pop it back in? And burst out the person's like, no, that's gross. Go ask someone else. Go to the emergency department. And then I came across a doctor at the engagement party and I held out my middle finger and I'm like, hey, dude, um, I think this is dislocated. He's like, that is definitely dislocated. And he didn't go, ooh, he went, can I hold it? I'm like, 
sure. And he grabbed it and he held it. He's like, I can fix this. And I said, okay, um, is it gonna hurt? He said, Michael, this is what I've trained to do. Can you trust me? And I was like, I don't know you. And he was like, all right, three, two, one. I'm like, oh my, oh. And there we were. Now me and him, we're best friends. See, in that moment, when everyone else moved away, the one who was skilled and able moved towards. This is Jesus. When the world looks at your sin and your shame and your story and everything that God that has happened in your life, so many times we think the world moves away. Jesus goes, I know how to fix it. I know where it is. There are people in this room today, you're carrying a bunch of shame and sin from your life. Can I tell you right now that Jesus is the person who is compelled by your sin, not repulsed by it. He moves towards our sin, not because He's stoked. The doctor wasn't like, Michael, go dislocate another finger. Let's go again. Like that's not, that wasn't what He wanted. So too with Jesus, isn't like, hey, just sin a lot because I can do it all. No, He's going, whenever you fall short, I can fix it to show you that there is a better way, a better truth and a better life. No matter our reputation, Jesus wants to give us a new reputation. Friends, this is not, our story. Those of you in this room, without Christ, who would we be? I would be someone no one would want to hang out with. No one would want to lead a church. Definitely because why? Jesus forgave my sin. He replaced my story with a better story. And now because I was once the woman at the table, He's made me a son and an heir in His Kingdom. This is our story, friends. And I just want to finish with this question. I think there are two people God wants to speak to today. Maybe there's more than two people in this room, clearly, but also maybe neither of these two things apply to you, which is okay. But I think there's a bunch of these things that that apply to two kinds of people. The first one is some of us are Pharisees. Some of us, it's been so long since we remember encountering the love of God. We live perfect lives. We discipline our kids when they step out of line and we just hope everyone thinks we've got it all together and we're not vulnerable, we're not real, we're not transparent because we think if we can purvey an image to the world, then they will love us. And I've got to say that love's gonna run out and you'll have nothing to give others. And God, today, right now, I believe there are people in the room who for too long have been offering, have been operating on, on the smell of an oily rag of love. And He wants to remind you again of the great debt He has forgiven so He might remind you of the great love He has given. That this church would be a place where Jesus is welcomed and adored and pursued. And there's a group of people in the room who maybe you relate to the sinful woman and you're sitting here and you're going, could God love me? And I've got to be so clear with you right now, no matter what you've done, where you've been, the darker the sin, the greater the pursuit of Christ. He loves you. He's coming for you. You are in this room, right? He's coming for you. That sounds like a, you know, a, a summer trailer for a thriller. He's coming for you. That's not the heart of Jesus. Don't be afraid. And we know this because He did something for us. He died a death. We should have died after living a life we could not live. That you might know today, His unconditional love wants to wash into your heart. Do you know you are loved or are you giving reasons for why you could not be loved? His love is unconditional. His love is good. Have you encountered it today? Would you join with me as we pray? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.
you're in the room or online, there are people ready and waiting to pray for you online. But right now, I just want to wait together for a moment on the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you are welcome here. As someone, when I said that line, the first thought in your heart was, that's such a weird thing to say. What do you mean? I want to let you know Jesus is alive and living and well and He's tapping on the door of your heart right now saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. There are people in this room who've walked in here today with a reputation. I've got a burning on my heart for some parents who feel like their reputation with their kids isn't what they want it to be. There are people in this room right now walking through a reputation of things you've done many years ago, but you've never been out of shake. And some of you here who've been carrying a shame and a guilt for too long. And I need to let you know, Jesus doesn't move away from your dislocated finger. He goes, let me give you a whole brand new heart. That's what's on offer today. We don't earn that love, we just respond to it. So right now in this moment, if you're, standing, if you're sitting here and you're going, God, I need a new story, a new reputation. I wanna, I wanna know Your forgiveness and I wanna know that unconditional love. Would You give me that unconditional love in exchange for my shame and my guilt that I might follow You? That's You today. I wonder across this room right now and even online, would You just raise Your hand? I wanna pray for You. I wanna pray for You. Right now, would You raise Your hand? Oh, wait. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Just in a moment, we've got a couple of people whose hands are raised. And we want to pray with you. We want to pray a prayer together that we pray every week because we invite people into this story every week. Would you just repeat these words after me? You may have prayed this prayer 10,000 times. You can pray it again today. Let's pray this prayer together, friends. Dear Jesus, I'm so sorry for my guilt. For the things I've done wrong, would you forgive me? Wash me new. Teach me to follow you as my Lord, my Saviour, my friend. Teach me to love you as you have loved me. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for those who just responded to that call. Would you fill them with your love again and again and again? Would you wash them clean in Jesus' Name? Would they know the power of your truth, your forgiveness and your unconditional love? In Jesus' Name we pray. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.